Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Kate Faulkner. Hello, hope you're okay. Thank you for downloading today's podcast on Monday, July 10th. Our top story today, the owners of a car-themed pub in Chulloch are pleading with their patrons to slow down and leave with respect after fears they could be shut down just two months after opening. B Road at the Stag, which used to be the halfway house, have put out the warning after reports visitors have been revving their engines and speeding along access roads. Lucy's been following this story for us. Lucy, first of all, why are so many car enthusiasts meeting at this pub in particular? Well, the pub reopened in May after being taken over by self-confessed petrol heads Ed Little and Roger Gray. Since then, they've been putting on regular car-themed events to attract car enthusiasts from across the county. They say they support feedback and comments they've received so far have been amazing, but not everyone is happy. What are some of the complaints they've been getting? Well, as I said, not all of the villagers are pleased. They've been complaining about the behaviour of motorists, mostly of revving engines and of flouting the speed limit. But there are also some concerns about antisocial behaviour and general noise complaints. Ed and Roger are worried that if it continues, they'll be shut down. So what are the owners going to do about it? They've come down really hard on anyone disrespecting their neighbours and have even banned one driver from speeding away from the venue. They've really a statement asking people to respect the village of Cholok and for people to leave in a manner which won't disturb the locals. Thanks, Lucy. A spokesperson for Ashford Borough Council says they're now looking into the site, saying officers in the planning team are carrying out investigations at the Stag to establish whether the use of the site for car meets is in breach of planning permission. Also making news today, a Maidstone family who had to live in a hotel after their ceiling collapsed have moved back in only for the same thing to happen again. Stacey Sells says she's reached her wit's end after a new hole appeared less than two weeks after returning to the property in Quarry Square. Stressed, I've had enough of it. I mean, I've not even paid my rent since they decanted me, so I'm like nearly £2,000 on rent already. And I was like, well, you're not getting a penny until I'm satisfied with the way the property is. I don't really want to be in the house every day, basically. I'd rather go out than be in the house. And for the, for everyone else in the house, how's it how's it affecting them? Well, they they were stressed. I mean, like my daughter, she was trying to keep calm because obviously she was doing her GCSEs, which she's now finished. Um, my son, obviously, he was coming up here to try and help us sort the house out. Got kicked out of college, um, obviously for, for being here with me and his dad trying to sort the house out. I mean, like when they put us back in. We had to strip the wallpaper because they weren't doing it. So basically, we are virtually ready to decorate the property now. But obviously, where we keep getting these leaks and everything, that's now holding us up. We're going backwards and not forwards. And I'm still waiting to hear from them about my compensation on the damaged furniture and everything. And in turn, like, you know, when they said they fixed the, uh, the issue, what what were you thinking then? Because obviously, were you were you hopeful? Were you sceptical? Well, we was like, are they sure they fixed it? Because obviously, being old pipes, yeah, they go green and everything like that. And sometimes they corrode in sections. And obviously, this is what is happening. They're obviously bursting in sections on different parts of the house. That's about the fourth burst pipe I've had. Because I had one in the front room. Obviously, the ones on the new radiator in the porch, one in the ceiling where the first hole is, and then obviously that one 
three nights ago. So it's about the fourth pipe that's gone. What are you expecting to happen then? What's well, I have what's, requested what's, what's, what's them to give me a move, but they're not budging on a move. They said I have to go on the home choice list. So and then and then um, they said that could take up to six weeks, a year, two years, because obviously they've got other people on the home choice list. Obviously before me, Mia, yeah, I've now ha now have got a solicitor involved, and no win, no fee solicitors. And they're, they're now taking the case on as well. Balding Homes say they're working to find the source of the new leak. Kent Online reports. An MP's described the death of a teenage boy in an e-scooter crash near Maidstone as an avoidable tragedy. He was killed when he collided with a car on Heath Road in Cox Heath on Saturday night. The road was closed for 10 hours for investigation work. Police say a white BMW and the black e-scooter collided while travelling in the same direction. They're keen to speak to anyone with CCTV or dash cam footage. South Annette's Craig McKinley says his thoughts are with the boy's family and is calling for more action to stop e-scooters being ridden illegally. The boy's death is just one of a number of tragedies on the county's roads, with a man in his 70s also killed after a car crashed into a wall near Maidstone. He was driving along the A229 Linton Road over the loose viaduct when it happened early yesterday morning. Investigators want to hear from witnesses or anyone with dashcam footage. And there was another incident in Sheppey, with a man taken to a London hospital after being hit by a minibus. He suffered a serious head injury on Chequers Road in Minster in the early hours of yesterday. It happened between the junctions of Boundary Close and Oak Lane. Again, police are keen to speak to witnesses and anyone with CCTV or dashcam footage to help their investigation. Now, these roads accidents come as the mum of a 22-year-old who died in a motorbike crash last June fears someone else could be killed on the same road if improvements aren't made. Kieran Ingram lost his life in Park Pale in Shaun and an inquest has heard a collapsed manhole cover may have contributed to his fatal accident. But a year on, it's still not fixed and his mum is now calling on KCC to repair it before anyone else gets hurt on that road. Kent Online reports. A suspect wanted in connection with the deaths of at least 27 people who died trying to cross the channel to Kent in a small boat has been extradited to France to go on trial. The 32-year-old is alleged to be part of an organised crime group and was tracked down to a hotel in Gloucestershire and arrested last November. The vessel sank shortly after leaving the French coast in November 2021. It comes as figures show more than 1,000 asylum seekers have crossed the channel in small boats in the space of two days. 686 people arrived on Friday and a further 300 184 made the dangerous journey on Saturday. That takes the provisional total for the year so far to over 12,500. Now, this is another one of our most viewed stories today. A Dartford dad is calling for action after heavy rain caused sewerage to flood his garden, covering his children's toys in dirty water. Paul's home in Wilmot Road has been affected five times in the past seven years. Thames Water say they've cleared pipes in the area and have spoken to residents about how they can reduce the risk of flooding. Tragedy has struck at a football club for the second time in less than a year after a player died in a car crash. Charlie Bolt died while travelling between Sittingbourne and Maidstone on the 12th of June. The 20-year-old played for Maidstone United Raiders, a specialist disability team, and was teammates with Reese Van Sertema, who died after being hit by a lorry in Snodland last October. Both deaths in such a short period of time have left staff and players devastated. 
Kent Online reports. Residents in Margate are urging the local council to take action to restore one of the town's most iconic venues back to its former glory. The Winter Gardens opened in 1911 and hosted many events for over a century, including a six-day Beatles residency in the 1960s. But the building's fallen into disrepair since it shut last August. Local resident Guy William Addington says he'd love to see it back to being used as an events venue. The Winter Garden's an amazing asset for this area and uh, its current state of disrepair is is frankly heartbreaking. It would be amazing to have such a strong asset to the community up and running and showing all sorts of great performances and events. And how do you think the process of getting it up and running has been, you know, has been dealt with by the council? It's a really old building in a location that is battered by the elements. So I think trying to maintain a building like that is going to be really challenging for anybody who's looking after it. I think probably some things could have been done over the years to try and keep on top of repair. Um, But I don't understand the full detail of managing an asset like that for the community. I think it's a shame its current state, um, but I um, wouldn't claim to understand exactly how to keep something like that up and running. And um, did you use... Um, the Winter Gardens when it was open. What was it like? I did. I've been to the Winter Gardens lots of times. We've seen some amazing events, some amazing concerts, some amazing performances there. And as I've mentioned, it's such an amazing asset to have at a place like Margate. It's known the country over. All sorts of famous people have used it. It's just a real shame that we don't see anything coming back in the near future. Another resident, Karen Watton, agrees and says she'd like to see it go back to what it was before. Very sad to see... um never seen it like this. I I went away for a long time living in London when I come back absolutely astonished by just how it's been let go really. And did you use Winter Gardens when it was in its prime? Oh definitely and since I've been back um, who I work for we used to have like these the Christmas parties there and they were absolutely fabulous. Been to shows there, taking my daughters there to see things, the Christmas pantomimes with the grandchildren. There's quite a lot that was family orientated. And um, how have you, you know, how have you thought um, that district council has been handling the, you know... Well, it, does, it doesn't seem like anything is actually happening, so we're not really reading anything in the news. There's no signs up to say that, you know, anything will be happening to the building. And in an ideal world, what would you like to see happen to Winter Gardens? Going straight back to how it was before, really, because people were using it a lot. And you can see by what's happening with Dreamland, with the shows and things they have there, we will still be using that as well. Thunder District Council say it's searching for investors to turn the venue into a successful leisure proposition for the district. A cat nursery has been shut down by Ofsted officials due to fears children there may be at risk of harm. Goddington Place School in Ashford has been suspended for six weeks to allow Ofsted time to investigate. Inspectors believe a child attending the nursery may be exposed to harm, but also said the suspension could be lifted before six weeks if their satisfied children were no longer at risk. Friends and family have gathered together to unveil a plaque dedicated to an ales for teenager who took his own life. 17-year-old Ryan Hughes was last seen leaving his house in February last year. His body was later recovered from the River Medway. An inquest has concluded he took his own life. Now in a tribute at Oakwood Park Grammar School, the plaque has been placed beneath a tree planted in his memory. Owen Jenner was one of his friends. As a group, we decided we wanted to do many different things based on what we thought we wanted to try and remember Ryan by, but we all decided we definitely wanted a lot of physical memorabilia so me personally I wanted to create a condolences book to give to Mr Hughes and um, the Hughes family to try to show that we're all remembering him by so we ordered the book in as a school 
and once it arrived I passed it over to one of my friends Ellie Reeve who is going to study art at university so I gave the front cover to her to create a big design she made it very colourful and it looked amazing and beautiful so once she gave that back to me I then started walking around to all the classes in the school I wanted all the teachers to sign it and all the year 13 students if they didn't know Ryan, I just wanted them to write their name. If they did know Ryan, I wanted them to write a little message. I did the students at the front and the teachers at the back, and I managed to coordinate it perfectly that it all meet at the centre. And I got everyone to sign it. It took about one to two months, and once I showed it to our head teacher, Mr Moody, Mr Hughes came in and collected it, and I think they are very happy with it now, and I'm very happy that they managed to receive it. Brilliant, it sounds lovely. And mm. did you know Ryan personally then? I did, I've known him since year seven. I knew him as a, a good friend at that point, but once we started A-level studies in when I was in year 12, so about just over a um, year and a half ago, I managed in our sort of classes, we began to sit next to each other and that's when we really created our strong bond of becoming from good friends to best friends, great friends. And we had that for a couple of months until unfortunately the incident happened. Yeah, and how would you describe Ryan then? Tell me about him, what was he like? I would describe him as a very joyful person. So he was a very bubbly individual. So if you were around him, even if you're having an off day, he would find some way to make you laugh. And he would always try and he'd be willing to get involved in anything even if he wasn't he wanted to be part of the group and we really wanted him to be a part of everything we did so he even came to stuff he didn't enjoy and he ended up enjoying it himself and we it was all a bit of a process where we did stuff he enjoyed he did stuff we enjoyed and it was we all became a big collective group lovely and um, what do you think about you know the plaque unveiling what does it mean to you to have that sort of permanent i'm very happy with it because we don't just have with the book now one physical memorabilia we have two so now that even when people are walking past here they can see the tree and it's actually what's quite special is it's very near where he lived as well and unfortunately where it happened so it's almost a structural representation of him in the place he grew up as well kent online reports the mp for dover and deal is urging local farmers and charities to apply for funding to create more wildlife friendly habitats natalie elfig says the 25 million pound species survival fund could help protect ancient woodlands and cliffs in the area up to three million pounds is available for each project that's chosen by the government hydrogen powered construction machinery is going to be used to build the new lower thames crossing National National Highways have bought the largest volume of hydrogen ever purchased in the UK transport sector to help build a tunnel linking the A2 near Gravesend with Tilbury and Essex. It's aiming to reduce the project's carbon footprint by using less diesel. Stackable pods could soon be used to provide accommodation for homeless people in Gravesend. The council's accepted a donation of eight units from a house-building company to help tackle an increase in rough sleeping. They can be stacked up to two storeys high and include a bedroom, kitchen, living area and bathroom. You can see pictures at Kent Online. And finally, a woman from Hearn Bay has been telling us how foraging can be an easy way to keep the cost of living down. Amy Hitchcock says while not everyone qualifies for government support, everyone is feeling the financial squeeze and looking to cut costs. She says with not a lot of fresh produce available at food banks, finding nutritional food for yourself is an easy alternative. When people think about foraging, it can be not very accessible when you first think about it. So, you know, going in the woods with your wellies on. But actually, um, the sort of foraging that I do from day to day is very local. So it's um, the normal walks around the town that I live in, in Herne Bay, but also around Canterbury, there's like lots of um, public paths and footpaths, etc. So you don't have to go miles and miles away because one of the great things about this country is we've got a lot of um, hedgerow plants. 
So the immediate one comes to mind is blackberries, but things like roses, they also got lovely edible hips in the winter time. So it is an all year thing. And those have got more vitamin C than oranges. So we're talking nutrition, we're talking uh, food for free. Um, of course, the only thing is to be sustainable about it. So when there's actually lots of a certain wild food available, yeah, there might be certain species that need that as well, you know, like birds and other mammals. Yeah, in the springtime, wild garlic and wild chives and things that pop up, actually other animals don't eat garlics. You know, it makes dogs and cats unwell and, um, you know, other animals unwell. So it's just knowing what's sustainable as well, as much as sort of where to look, if that makes sense. And how did you how did you get into it? I mean, you've you've just said there there's that was it a special sort of rose hip that's got more vitamin C than an than an orange. How did you find out about that? Where do you, where did you get all your information from? Oh, cool. So um, when I moved to Kent about ten years ago now, all the plants were different. So I always had a bit of an interest, and my family go out picking plums and blackberries, and that's where a lot of people start. Really, is you know looking up and seeing apples on the tree, you know, growing wild, and it's like you know they're as good as any other apple, really, and. Um, yeah, I uh, moved to Kent, the plants were different. And then for every plant you learn the name of, it turns out, you know, it's got, these days with Google, it's got a use or it's got some history to it, the plant. Or, you know, um, a lot of plants were used medicinally and some of them are edible. And the ones that are toxic and, you know, highly poisonous or not edible at all, it's good to know that too, isn't it? So these this day, it's so easy to engage in a hobby like that because, You've got the internet, you've got resources, you've got forums like on Facebook and um, Instagram and stuff as well. So you can really just be part of the community as long as you stay safe. There's no harm in identifying a few plants and you'll just be surprised at how many are also useful. Kent Online Sports. Cricket now in England have kept their Ashes hopes alive after beating Australia by three wickets in their latest Test match. Kent Zach Crawley scored 77 runs across both innings at Headingley. The tourists are leading the series 2-1 ahead of the penultimate match at Old Trafford, which gets underway next Wednesday. And in the women's game, Kent's Tammy Beaumont will return to England squad for the one-day international matches in the women's Ashes. She wasn't included in the recent T20 fixtures. Australia are leading 6-4 in the multi-format series with the first ODI taking place on Wednesday in Bristol. That's all from us today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get the details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. To sign up, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.